This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast. Thanks as ever to our sponsors at Neville G. My guests this evening are Ian Creamer, Nathan Rogers and Kevin Robinson. We'll get started as ever with question of the week, which this week was, would you make any changes to the team for the Palace game? Sean Dyche has picked the same 11 for all three league games so far, but three new signings on deadline day. Um, might change that. Adam, what were the responses like? Uh, well, Alex Henley gave quite a, an in-depth uh, response. He said that he'd um, definitely put Boyd and Chalabar straight into the team, but leave Keane um, Keen out um, because so far the defence has done really well. Um, so the lineup would be Heaton, Trippier, uh, Duff, Shackle, Me, Arfield, Chalabar, Jones, Boyd, Ings and Duke. Uh, Duke should improve vastly with boys' delivery. Um, reasons for new players being that we uh, that we need that first wind uh, so badly. The drama from deadline night should be pushed into the next game, in his opinion. Uh, Anthony Roo, uh, put, uh said um, he'd put Boyd on the left and the rest of the new signings on the bench so they can let other players know how hungry they are to be in the lineup. Uh, James Stevenson said Chalabar for Jones and Boyd for Kitely. Uh, Richard Garland said Chalabar for Marnie because Dean Marnie um, has given the ball away too much, according to, to Richard, um, so far this season. And that's about it. Some pretty controversial ones there. I'd be interested to hear what the panel's got to say about. It would be pretty amazed if there's any changes to to the defence or the midfield, given how well we played against Manchester United. Um, Nathan, we'll start with you then. What would yep. your team for Palace look like? The bench is going to be quite <coughs> strong, I imagine. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to be the boring one straight away and just leave it as it is. <laughs> um, I suspect that's what Dash will do, so that's yeah. absolutely fine. Is, uh, is yeah. there a case for bringing Boyd straight in, though? I mean, you spend three million on a play, you don't expect him to be on the bench. Yeah, of course, is, uh, you know, you pay that much money, you're going to want to get to use him as much as possible. But I think throwing him in straight away after an international break and a few days training, I think you should be left to, you know, get used to the, the boys a bit better and fit in a bit more, I guess. I think Boyd as well, maybe even more than anyone else in the squad, yeah. is um, really a, a useful option from the bench. I think yeah. he's an impact sub. Boyd could have a lot of impact. Absolutely. Um, especially in away games where the tactic last season was quite a lot of the time just to try and keep it tight, wasn't it? Yeah. So it'll be Definitely. quite interesting to see if um, 
that's the same on Saturday at Palace. Mm. Kevin, what about you? Would you be going for the same eleven, or would you be dropping Dean Marnie as as Richard said there? Um, no, I'm going to be boring again and go for the same eleven. Um, just for a reason that, like I say, we have done, we did do really well against Man United, um, and and I think Dyche was in a quite good position now to be able to let the new boys settle in a little bit. Um, I think the only player would really bring in would be Boyd um, and he'd have to come in for Taylor but since Taylor's provided our only goal so far I think that'd be quite harsh for him to, to kind of go out of the team straight away um, with regards to Chalabar and Keane you've got to remember that they've both been away with the under 21s yeah, um, so they've had even less, even less time than Boyd to sell in um, so given that we did if we got beat 4-0 by United then uh, we'd probably see a couple of changes um, but since we did so well against them, I'd, I'd be very surprised if there's any change to the starting lineup unless it's forced. Uh, yeah, just to clarify what you said there, Taylor created our only goal, didn't he? Obviously, it was scored by Scarfield, um, who we will do a little bit more on a bit later. Um, Ian, are you going to make it a clean sweep? Would you be going for the same team? As Kevin points out, you can't really expect Keane and Shellbar to come in when Dash will have only worked with them for a couple of games before the game. Couple of days, even. Yeah, I, I mean, my suspicion is that that Dash tends to be very, very loyal to his uh, his unit, as he would call them. Um, and you know, I suspect he's going to go with the same eleven. I just wonder about whether um, Boyd might actually come on for Taylor. Um, I think I think Taylor did a really good job, and you know, I think we talked about it on Twitter after one of the previous games in getting back and, and supporting me. I think he did a tremendous job in in the last game. Um, so probably about deserved to keep his place. My concern is, uh, I think I've said this before, we, we don't look like we've got enough threat going forward. I don't think we've got enough pace um, or creativity going forward. And that would be the only justification for me for, for bringing Boyd in for Taylor. The other alternative that it might look at, of course, probably not for this game, but certainly for some of the other you know tougher away games, he's actually going to five in midfield and playing um, probably, I mean, God, God forbid they say that Ings gets dropped, but you know, playing uh, playing Duke up front on his own at least for you know some of the game is a, a holding to hold the ball up and, and try and keep some possession. So you know different alternatives now, and that's I guess what you know bringing three new players into the squad gives us. I, I think it's really interesting what you say about Ings. There we mentioned last might have been last week on the podcast that he has been a bit out of form and. I think you're right. I think we might need to go five in midfield and you would suspect he'd be the one that would be vulnerable. So that'll be worth keeping an eye on. But I, I agree with all three of our panellists this evening. I think it'll be a surprise if there's any changes to the team. And the only one that's likely at all, I think, would be Boyd for Boyd for Taylor. But I'm not sure Dash will put that one through either. Um, we thought we were busy on deadline day, staying up till about half one in the morning to wait for the Michael Keane signing to be done. But Palace were pretty busy as well. They brought in James McArthur, who was obviously one of our targets, apparently up to £7 million for him, quite a lot of money for a 26-year-old championship midfielder. But they also brought in Kevin Doyle, Zeke Friars. They brought Wilfred Zahar back a little bit earlier. And, of course, Andrew Johnson has gone back to Crystal Palace. Um, I suppose his age will count against him now, but possibly will still have something in him. Nathan, Palace obviously had all that upheaval at the start of the season with Tony Pulis walking out before a board had even been kicked. 
what do you make of, of Neil Warnock as his replacement? I didn't really expect him to be a Premier League manager again, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I was uh, taken back by that one. Um, I feel like they've taken about five steps backwards from Tony Pulis there. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm hoping he does well. I mean, I don't like seeing managers struggle. Not really at any club, so <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a weird appointment, though. Like, personally, I don't think he's going to bring much to Palace because they were a, quite an attractive team back end of the season with Pulis. Yeah, I agree. There was a, mm. a lot of talk that they were just going to hump it downfield, weren't they? No, I thought they played some pretty decent yeah. stuff, especially yeah. down the wings where they've got Balassi, who's a very good player, yeah. and obviously Zaha's come in as well, so they've certainly got a lot of pace. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they're a very good little outfit. I, I enjoyed watching them back end of last season. Like, you know, obviously that famous Liverpool game and showed the kind of grit and determination they had. And I think I think they'll kind of kill that off now with Warnock and they'll just go to lumping it in unattractive football, um, which is a bit of a shame, really. We're actually playing uh, two of those weird managerial appointments in the next month, aren't we? Because we've got, um, obviously, Alan Irving at uh, West Brom as well. So, we're actually, yeah, yeah, playing yeah, two of the strangest managerial appointments of the, of the last couple of years. We're playing mm. them both in the, in the next few weeks. That is worth pointing out. Palace, mm. actually, well, I'm just looking at their results. Although they are um, level on points with us with only one point, so it will be 19th against 20th on Saturday. Um, the results haven't been... That bad, really. They lost narrowly at Arsenal on the opening weekend. That was a late goal from Ramsey. Losing at home to West Ham wasn't ideal. They had a good away win in the cup. And then a 3 all draw at Newcastle with lots of late drama. So they'll probably look at it quite similar to us and not feel too disheartened with only having one point, especially with all that upheaval. Um, Ian, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but this this really is the start of our season properly, isn't it? Teams that we're going to have to get results from if we're going to have a chance. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've been to the first three games of the season and, you know, kind of looking at those before the season started, the thought of getting a point out of those was kind of what I expected, to be honest with you. So, yeah, these are the, these are the big games. Um, and, you know, I was umming and on about going to Palace, I think, actually. I've kind of made my mind up that I need to go because this is, you know, as I say, it's, it's a game where we really need as as much support as we can get. It's going to be a raucous atmosphere down there as usual. My only hope really is that the probably disappointing appointment of, of Warnock might just calm them down about a bit as a set of fans because the atmosphere they've been generating down there to date has been tremendous. And, uh, you know, my, my only real fear about it is, you know, if they get their tails up, Zaha starts flying down the wing at us, et cetera, that, you know, they, they get the crowd behind them and they're, they're going to give us problems. But, uh, yeah, the, the next kind of three or four games, I think, are, are huge for us to really set a benchmark for, for where our season is and is, is going to be. Yeah, September's certainly going to be huge after... Crystal Palace to Sunderland at home, you'd expect Sunderland to be around the bottom bottom six or so as well, and then West Brom away in a game that's on Sky, you'd expect that to be another relegation battle, so yeah, it's certainly going to be a really big month. Um, Nathan, what sort of points haul do you think we should be targeting from those three games? We've only got um, one so far, does that mean we're playing catch-up a little bit? That's... It's, it's, it's hard to get a, a real mentality on it all, but I think... I think over the next few games, I'd expect us to. I'd like us to get four points. Really, I think that's a realistic target there. Uh, I think we'll have the home advantage against Sunderland. I think that'll do us favours, and I'm hoping we'll get a point at Palace. To be honest, because that is a tough place to go with the fans. I think the atmosphere is going to play a big part, isn't it? At yeah, Palace? 
definitely a bit of talk actually at Burnley about trying to replicate the, mm. the atmosphere that the I think it's the home side of Stockholm. Right. Yeah, we're generating down there, but it was left a bit late to really get anything sorted. They've got quite a lot of organisation down there with flags and banners and stuff, and they seem to work really hard on that. So it'll be interesting to see if we can learn something from that because the atmospheres mm. at Turf Moor have been a bit mixed so far. Kevin, what sort of points do you think we're looking for from September? Do you agree with Nathan? Do you think four would be enough or maybe a bit more than that? Um, yeah, I think I think four four's a figure which which I've been looking at. You got to remember, obviously, we'll be looking at these teams, thinking we can get some points, but they'll also be looking at us, thinking, you know, this is po- possibly some of our easy one of our easiest games of the season. Uh, that's how they'll be looking at it. So they'll be looking to get maximum points as well. Um, and also, we, we've learned at Swansea just how fine the margins are in this league. Um, one that one little mistake um, can can cost you dearly, and. You need to be converting the chances up front as well, um, so hopefully we've learned from that. Um, but yeah, I I hope us to get a win and a draw. Hopefully, I really hope we can get our first win this month anyway. Because um, you know, if you go for the first few two months without a win, then that's that will start kind of dragging on the players men- mentally. Um, but I, I think yeah, a, a draw, defeat, and a win would be a decent haul this month. I'd actually be hoping that we could be unbeaten this month. I think it's a really good chance to, to build some momentum. So I'd be looking at five points, although two wins and a defeat wouldn't be too bad. Um, Ian, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's going to be our target. I think being unbeaten and getting some momentum behind the scene um, has got to be... When you when you look at the three games, um, it's got to be our target as a very minimum. Um, so I'd like to think we could get a couple of wins out of out of these three games coming up. Um, you know, easier said than done, of course. And we need to start working out how we're going to score goals if we're going to do that. Uh, and that's why I'm slightly curious about you know the prospect of throwing Boyd in and seeing if we can get some creativity going because you know I think that is is one one of our Achilles heels at the moment. We just don't seem to be able to 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 notch. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we can get that sorted, then uh, we've got a chance, and I think we could get. You know, if we can come away for, with six points out of that period, I think that would be uh, really good news for us. Boyd is certainly an interesting one, isn't he? I mean, I think we all were hoping for someone with uh, some pace to come in, someone like Zaha. I'm not saying Zaha would have been a realistic option, but someone of that ilk who can really hurt teams with their pace. Boyd's. Something a bit different, maybe. I think he's been compared mm. quite broadly to Chris Eagles, which is maybe just because of his hair. But <laughs> I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how much impact he has. The other two lads on loan, I think, are, are very exciting. Shalabar, in particular, I'm only hearing good things about about him. Nathan, what's your take on the, the three new signings from Deadline Day? Uh, I really like them. I think they're exactly what we needed. Um, I don't. I didn't think we need we needed to fill a void. I think we just needed to back up the positions we had and have strength on the bench because there's been times where I've been a bit worried where we've been lacking and we're you know we're bringing on Marvin Sordell when it's just not requiring a player of that type but there he's the only option we've had so to be able to bring on a player like Nathan Chalabar um, uh, and George Boyd you know they're cracking signings I think and all I've heard from Blackburn fans is that Keane's a cracking player and they're quite annoyed that we've got him to be honest. Yeah, Gary Boy said at the end of the season that he believed Keane was, was Premier League class and he mm. did want to try and sign him permanently, so one in the eye for Rovers there. There were a couple of Rovers <laughs> fans on Twitter saying that 
he was rubbish and he wasn't going to be any good for them. It just looked like bitterness. Mm. Their form, actually, at the end of the season when Keane signed on what made his debut when we won at Ewood Park. They lost their next game after that, but then they were unbeaten for 10, 11 games to the end of the season. They almost got yeah. in the top six. They were absolutely excellent. And that coincided with Michael King coming into the team. Mm. Um, Kevin, that defensive signing is one that we've been waiting for all summer, but Michael King seems to tick quite a lot of boxes, doesn't he? England under-21 international, can play right back as well. He's clearly got very good pedigree. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, we saw in the in the play of the month um, results that Michael Duff's kind of exceeded all expectations really and been outstanding. But you've got to you've got to look at, at the team, at the squad as a whole. And behind him, we've got we've got um, what's he called, uh, Kevin Long, as our own, our only real centre back. Um, and you can't really be going into Premier League with with a pretty much untried centre back as your only backup, especially when Michael Duff is. Um, with no disrespect, getting on a bit, um, and and he's likely to possibly pick up um, some injuries and, and suspensions. Um, and yeah, I think it's an interesting sign. I think we, we 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 were chasing lots of permanent signs throughout the summer with the likes of Dawson uh, and other players like that. But similar to you, I've only heard good things about Michael Keane and obviously uh, Chelbar can play in there as well. Um, and video gives that bit of pace, which which obviously Duff lacks a bit, a little bit as well. So um, without getting too carried away, because we are relatively relatively untried at this level, um, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I think Keane in particular is really important. Like, so I'm massively excited about Shalbar. I think he can add something to our midfield. But Michael Keane, I think, was vital. There are a lot of people on Twitter losing their minds a bit in the build up to the transfer window closing because we hadn't signed a defender and I think bringing one in even though it was very last minute and not the permanent deal we were perhaps hoping for I think that's arrested a lot of fears um, I suspect the Keane deal might turn into a permanent one as well I think he's probably surplus to requirements at Man United it was interesting that they went for the Tyler Blackett rather than Keane at the start of the season when when they were struggling with some injuries. So, yeah, I think Keane might just be available in January. And if the long spell goes well, I think he might end up staying as a Burnley player. You just mentioned the Player of the Month award there, Kevin. We do need to mention that the winner of the first Player of the Month award of the season, uh, the prize that we award in conjunction with the Burnley Express, of course, not really any surprises. I know you made a case for, for Michael Duff, Kevin, but pretty much everyone else went for Scott Arfield. Scored our only goal of the month, of course, that stunner in the, the first few minutes against Chelsea and he was excellent in pretty much every game Scott Arfield and watching Scotland on Sunday night against Germany, you wonder how he's not involved in that squad, it's very odd, so congratulations to Scott Arfield for winning the August prize, but hopefully there'll be a bit more competition for the September one, it'd be nice if we've got more than one goal scorer to, to talk about when we come round to handing that award out. Um, another bit, bit of news that's come out at the start of this week is regarding finances and we probably don't want to get too bogged down in this sort of stuff because uh, we do tend to get a bit of criticism when we whinge too much about finances but it is interesting that it's been announced Burnley now expecting to lose about 8 million over the course of the financial year um, Mike Garlick had previously said that we were on track to break even but this 8 million is apparently because of promotion bonuses so I suppose we can't be too complaining about the fact we've paid out a lot of promotion bonuses. Um, 
Ian, it is quite a lot of money, though. I suppose all the, all the Premier League income renders it sort of irrelevant, doesn't it? But are you surprised that we've paid eight million out in bonuses? A lot of those players have got a lot of money. They have. Uh, I, I, I'm I mean, surprised. they've earned it. They've definitely earned it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it was interesting. I, the thing I picked up on was a lot of it was accrued through the season for being in the top two or three positions, um, which, you know, I think clearly rewards consistency. So it'd be interesting to see how much of that, you know, almost probably came as a surprise to the board that we're kind of up there for so long. Uh, and they must have been just watching the numbers tick through as they uh, as they kept up there and kept up there. I think to all of our surprise. Um, so it'd be interesting to see the balance between you know what they got accrued over the course of the season and what they actually got um, as a kind of final promotion payout. I suppose each contract will be slightly different, and I'm assuming Dash must have done pretty well out of it. And you know he deserves every penny and, and more for for what he's done for the club. Um so no I I'm not terribly surprised. I suspect they they set some of them fairly high on the basis that none of us really thought that we would be in those positions. Um so I can imagine a few uh a few tears running down some of the directors' faces as they so as I say the num- the numbers ticking up week in, week out and the the big hope that you know we're able to re- recoup that money by actually getting promoted into the Premier League. So it's a good job we didn't stay there until kind of the last weekend and then just drop away from it all. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you talked about the, uh, the top two uh, bonus things. It's something I've not really heard about before, but apparently that's what the, the, the players were on this season. Although um, I think that does take up a very, very small percentage of the bonuses because I think still around, around March time, the board was still predicting to break even. Um, and by that point, we've been in the top two for pretty much the whole season. So... If we were still expecting to break even at that point, mm. and now we've lost eight million, you've got to expect that pretty much, kind of you know, ninety five percent at least must be uh, must be from the actual promotion rather than the, the top two bonus. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, yeah. The thing about the top two, I think Ian's just pointed out, it could have been a bit of a disaster if we'd fallen out of the top two at the end of the season. And I, I just wonder if if that's had any impact on on cash flow for. For the summer, maybe having to pay out all these bonuses has meant that our budget wasn't as big as we were hoping. Um, just on Daesh, there was a story in the Times a few years ago that Owen Coyle got a million pounds when we were promoted under him. So you would expect that Daesh probably got at least a million quid for getting Burnley promoted. So they've been richly rewarded for it, but no one will be grudging that money. Um, Nathan, what are your thoughts on this this eight million loss and the the bonuses in particular? Uh, yeah, I didn't really see it expect it. I didn't really think about it to be honest. But it, didn't really it kind cross of anyone's mind, did it? No, I think everyone got... expected us to be loaded now. Yeah. That's going to be great. Yeah, we we just got I think got caught up in the promotion side of it all, didn't we? In the excitement of the Premier League and the big money. But I think it does make sense with the bonuses of. You know, you, you they've got to set ludicrous bonuses because realistically, it, it should have been an unachievable target with you know the resources and what we had I mean I certainly didn't see it happening and and I don't think the board did as much as they wanted to so you know it, it was a just a ludicrous bonus amount I think that's kind of not crippled us in a way but kind of backfired. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the of the, the infamous Premier League pledge when we paid out about two million pounds yeah. in yeah. pre-season tickets it mm. does remind me a little bit of that. Yeah. A few numbers from the, the Burnley Express's report today on this. Uh, the, the Express points out the last time we were promoted 
the the year the promotion year's finances was a loss of eleven point seven million. So we clearly um, bet the ranch a little bit, as people like to say. That season, obviously, that was partly the arrival of, of Brendan Flood providing a little bit more impetus. And we did have a transfer embargo for part of that season as well because we were struggling to meet some payments. But the season after, when we were in the Premier League, it was a 14.4 million profit. So you would expect this to be um, mitigated, is the word I've seen used, by, um, especially with the, the TV money being so much larger than last time we were in the Premier League. So I don't think anyone's too worried about this 8 million. It's maybe just a slightly surprising fee, but one worth keeping an eye out for when the mm. when the official figures are announced at the end of the year at the the AGM. It'll be worth keeping an eye out on that one because I mm. think it has caught quite a lot of people by surprise. Um, yeah, the main thing we want to do on tonight's podcast, and we are wary of time because there hasn't been a game to, to talk about and we're recording on Monday night and some of us want to watch England, some of us aren't that bothered. Um, but <laughs> the transfer window as a whole... We've had a, a week now to reflect on, on how it went. Uh, first of all, just want to see what the, the panel all think of the success overall. There was no major outgoings. We pretty much only lost players we wanted to lose and 10 new arrivals. But are the question marks over how many of them are good enough for this team? Kevin, we'll start with you. Firstly, give it a mark out of 10 in the transfer window. Um, I think I'd give it a 6 when we asked on Twitter. Um, I think I said it was... It was solid, um, but but unspectacular, which I think I think sums it up pretty well uh, from my perspective. I do think it needs pointing out that we did hold on to all our players. I think that's been underplayed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sure how much serious interest there was in players like Danny Ings and, and Kieran Trippier would be the two obvious ones, but to get through that transfer window without losing anyone from the squad, I thought that was really laudable. Um, but yeah, I would also say six. Ian, what about you? What were your thoughts overall? Now you've had time to reflect. Yeah, well, I think we talked about it, you know, before the final day of the transfer window on a, on a previous podcast, and I guess my opinion there didn't, you know, haven't changed on that group of players, which was I didn't think there were any in there that really were good enough to actually improve the first eleven. It was very much a kind of strengthen the squad, squad broaden the squad type approach. Yeah, that changed me a little bit. I think on on the last day, um, as we've said so far, I think we've got um, you know two lads that are potential as opposed to you know definite Premiership quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Boyd, who well, you know, I haven't seen enough of him to be absolutely clear, but you know, he he feels to me more like a, a proven Premiership player. So yeah, that pushes it up a little bit. Um, I, I was originally going to say six. I'm probably going to stick with that, uh, despite it being boring, and that's why everybody else has chosen. But because I think, <laughs> with with one exception really, and two yet to be proven, um, you know, I don't know that we've done enough to really fix some of the problems that that we foresee with, with our kind of first eleven. Yeah, I, th- I think I said on last week's podcast that we couldn't really judge the success of the transfer window until maybe a week or so after the window closed, but realistically it's probably going to be January when the window opens and we'll see how the squad that we've put together has coped. Um, sticking my neck out, I think all three of the deadline day buys are better than what we already had. So whereas I was a bit upset with some of the, the cover signing sort of numbers that we were just adding to the squad, I think these three, by January, I think they'll all be in the team. 
that's my call. Nathan, what's what are your thoughts on the transfer window overall? Give us a mark. Uh, yeah, uh, initially, when you did your first tweet a while back, I, I gave it, I think, just out of being annoyed at people's reactions and complaining, I gave it a nine. I think I totally just <laughs> went, got, got a bit carried away just to kind of annoy people. But my the point I was trying to make was we've met, we've met, had a loss. Um, you know, like QPR, they lost L- L- that Loic Remy. Um, you know, they lost potentially their best striker, I think. Uh, you know, we could have done the same. We could have lost things and Trippier and then that would have been it. It would have been absolute chaos at the club. Fans would have been, you know, throwing the season tickets, on, the season cards on the pitch, you know, and it would have been a nightmare if that happened. And the fact that we haven't lost a player and still brought 10 players in, I think, as Burnley, that, that's unheard of. <laughs> yeah, I think... I don't think anyone was expecting 10 new signings. I think oh. estimates before the, the summer really got underway was sort of 5, 6, 7, but mm. 10, yeah, that would be interesting. On the season cards, by the way, I'm not sure they'd throw onto the <laughs> no. pitch as well as the no, I don't, think the books, they don't have the weight, <laughs> they? Unless you... Maybe that's the reason we got them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you were in the Bob Lord, Sam, would you throw your season ticket at Sean Dash? He'd come after you. Yeah. Terrified. <laughs> I don't want to do anything to provoke him at all. I'd be very, very scared. Um, I just I want to go through the. Uh, so I was going to say, talking of talking of deadline day, I think uh, I don't know if you all saw the Leeds story, but nobody can complain about how we did their damn day after. Um... <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That was amazing. Man, just what happened? An hour before the uh, the window slammed shut, the, the tweeter saying, "Don't go to bed yet. We've got uh, we've got some business to, yeah. to come," and then we proceeded to sell <laughs> two players, and that was it. <laughs> Just that though, I mean, I, I don't rate Matt Smith at all, but he's probably one of their better players, and they were saying, "Oh, big news on the way!" Yeah, we sold Matt Smith. <laughs> what? Oh, Gosh, we have come back with Danny Ings. <laughs> yeah, we, we have some whinges sometimes about the the way Burnley do their marketing and social media and stuff. But my word, but Leeds was definitely the way not to do it. Another club, actually, I don't know if you've seen the the Blackpool Deadline Day Live blog. It's about a hundred words of updates on their site, basically just going, yeah, nothing's happening, there's no one at the ground, everyone's gone home. It's like <laughs> seven o'clock in the evening, it's absolute shambles. <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. Just a final note on Deadline Day itself, um, if, if you're not on Twitter, this might all go over your head a bit, but we were doing Deadline Day on, on the site and on Twitter and we got a bit silly with a lot of GIFs and there's a, there's a breakdown of, of exactly what happened. It's, I think it's still the third article on the site. So while we're having a look at how crazy we all got at 2 o'clock in the morning on Deadline Day, I think Jim White gets a bit carried away on Deadline Day, but we might have even pushed beyond that. So hopefully we won't have to go through that again for a while. As long as Just you weren't to... uh, pushing things into pe- into each other's ears, that's the important <laughs> thing. <laughs> we managed to to stay clear of that, thank goodness, and I think we'll we'll move away from that as quickly yeah. as possible. <laughs> I just can't wait till January now. <laughs> Start all over again. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, right, <laughs> last thing I want to do on tonight's podcast. I'm trying to keep it quite brief today. I just want to go through all the new signings and have some initial impressions. We haven't seen an awful lot of some of them, but I think a, a month of the new season, four matches, three league games, it's probably enough to make an initial impression. So we'll start off with Michael Kiteley, who obviously we knew a bit about already. Um, the fee was apparently as much as £1.5 million, although I imagine a lot of that's in various add-ons. Um, we're also not sure if the Kiteley deal was part of the the loan 
that we had from Stoke that we sort of were obligated to buy him. Um, but with the, the business we've done on wingers since Kiteley, Nathan, if we start with you, is Kiteley going to find himself a bit of a spare part now, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he only came good towards the end of the season. Uh, so he had a bit of confidence behind him and I think he might feel himself he'll be stuck in shadows, I think, a little bit this season. Um, but I, I, we had, I think we had to buy him at the point. It was a chance to bring in you know, a player with a bit of Premier League experience and, you know, and he's a decent player when, on his day. So. There was some talk over the fee when someone reported it was 1.5 million, but talking 3 million for George Boyd, one and a half for Kylie, mm. seems pretty reasonable. So, you know, it's a lot of money to spend for someone who's not going to be in the first team mm. every week. It's, it was probably worth bringing him in, I think. Uh, yeah. Judging off what we already know about him, like I said, he was excellent at the end of last season. Um, Kitely played on the left a lot last season, but I suppose with Boyd and Taylor coming in, it'll be more backup for for Scott Arfield this season. Do you agree with that, Kevin? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, I think w- w- with regards to the fee, uh, I said at the time that I think it was a fair fee, and I, I still stand by that. Um, like you say, three million for Boyd. Uh, I think it's just it's just for going rate. I think it's it's a pretty decent deal actually. One point five million, like you say, I think a lot of that will be performance based. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think I think he's going to be a lot. I think he's going to be like this season's Ross Wallace. So um, he'll he'll come off the bench a couple of times when we need something a little bit different, or just somebody to come on and and, and kick a ball a bit. Um, but no, I, he, he certainly won't be getting a lot of football. But it's a decent sign. I'm still pleased we've got him because he did have to do an impact when we needed him last season. That was mean, that. This year's Ross Wallace. So <laughs> brutal. Um, Ian, anything to add on Michael Kiley? No, I don't think so. I think he's, you know, he's a solid enough backup. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect him to be kind of, you know, starting many too many matches. But I think in terms of both, you know, kind of a, a guy that can provide some cover and can, can get up and down the pitch, you know, protecting... Uh, Protecting the defence as well as going forwards, and I think you know he's he's a decent option for us. No more than that. I think Dash obviously well, we say this a lot about him, but he does obviously like plays he's worked with before, and Kylie certainly mm-hmm. takes that box. And I suspect he's probably quite good to have around the dressing room as well. He seems like that sort of character, so probably as good for having off the pitch as he is for having on the pitch. Um, moving away from Kylie, then next on the list was Matt Gilks goalkeeper signed from Blackpool after Blackpool offered him a new contract by text message so presumably our transfer dealings were slightly more professional than that. <laughs> um, just one game for Gilt so far the, the cup defeat against Sheffield Wednesday couldn't do much about the, the goal that we conceded it was a penalty at the end um, Nathan is it just going to be cup games for Matt Gilt this season we heard a lot about how he was going to push hard for the number one spot but you'd expect he was going to keep hold of the shirt isn't he yeah, yeah, I think he will just be he'll play a you know, a, a backseat role to Heat and I think he'll just be there just in case. Um but I, I did say at the start uh, the end of last season we do need to bring in another keeper. Um just with a bit more of an experienced head. I'd rather bring in a an older keeper than a, a young and up and coming keeper in that, especially in our first Premier League season that we've got. So yeah, it's a good bit of business that I think. Especially to to have someone who's who's been in the Premier League before, I think that's really yeah. important. Um, just a comparison to the Premier League year under Owen Coyle and Brian Walls, Kevin. The two goalkeepers that year were Brian Jensen and Diego Penny. So you'd probably say the two we've got at the minute better than those two. 
You stole my thunder a little bit then, because I was waiting for you to ask me what I thought of Matt Gill, because my comment was just going to be two words, Diego Penny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I He's think... probably the best number two goalkeeper we've had in a long time. Uh, definitely, yeah. I think you were saying about him, obviously he was never going to deplay, uh, displace Tom Heaton, I don't think any... Unless you're, unless it's Stuart Taylor, nobody, no goalkeeper ever comes in and says, yeah, I'm here to be second choice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really good to have that... Um, that that strong competition for for, for Tom Heaton because, um, especially in, in the Premier League, we we know from what happened last time if if your keeper goes down, um, it can be it can be tricky and obviously there's no there's no loan window in the Premier League. Obviously, um, if we lost both our keepers, we'd get an emergency keeper in, um, but you do need to be that a little bit more prepared. So uh, yeah, I think he's actually a really really good signing. Yeah, I agree. I'm really chuffed that we managed to bring him in. Um, Ian, there was a little bit of talk about Heaton after the 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 Swansea game when he was beating his near post, but answered his critics, I felt, in the United game. Didn't have an awful lot to do, but made a very good save from Van Persie. Is is Matt Giltz just going to add that bit of pressure to keep him on his toes? Is that basically why we brought him in? Oh, I'm I'm sure it is, and and I think you know I think we know what Heaton can do. I agree. I mean that that save from Van Persie. I, I saw it live. I was right behind it when Van Persie hit it. But it looked better every time I saw it, you know, later on the TV and so on. So, yeah, we know what he's all about. I think Gilks is a solid, if unspectacular, backup option. Um, so, you know, good Premier League experience. He's, he's been there and seen it and, and done it. So I think that can only be good news for us. Next on the list then, signed on July 4th, Marvin Sordell. We've really not seen much of him so far. He's been restricted to sub-appearances. But, again, he did start the cup game. Um didn't cost an awful lot of money, apparently about five hundred thousand pounds. But with hindsight, Nathan, could that money have been better spent? Sordell really just a punt, isn't he? Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't still not convinced by this signing. Um, I know he had a lot of promise coming from Watford, and you know I'm hoping that Dash can kind of reinvigorate him and let him have a new lease of life at Burnley. But at the moment, I'm not convinced. He just looks to be like running around like an headless chicken at the moment. So, I think I said after one of the games, I wasn't sure if he reminded me more of a of a puppy or a baby elephant because he <laughs> provided a lot of energy and enthusiasm, but yeah. didn't really look like a footballer all the time. But there is obviously potential there. This is a player who went for three million pound only a couple of years ago, so must be something there. Um, Kevin, when you look at our bench, if we need a goal from the bench, you've got Sordell and Barnes. Is is that going to help? Um, I think Sodan and Barnes are very, two very, very different options. I think Barnes can come on if we, we need some extra strength up there. But I, I honestly think that Sodell's only role here is to run around. <laughs> I think that's pretty much the only reason he's here because he's not shown much um, much in terms of actual ability or anything um, in the few games I've seen so far. But I think, like I said, we... We have until Boyd came in. At least I don't know much about him, but apparently he's got a bit of pace. But we've got a chronic, a chronic um, lack of pace in in our four positions. Um, I think if we are coming up against a defence where we find it a bit, a bit troublesome to get through, he I think he that's his his role is to come on, run around a lot, and create a bit of space for somebody who's actually um, going to be able to do something with, from with a ball to come in and, and slot it home. He certainly provides variation. Like you said, that pace could be really important. You think about maybe a defence that's been tired after being buffeted around by Yuxwich for 80 minutes. To put Sordell on to run at him for 10 minutes, it might make might make the difference. But 
you judge strikers by goals, don't you, Ian? Martin Sordell. Is he going to get many, if any? I have to say, I mean, you know, you, you called him a, a player of potential you know, earlier, and I hope there is potential somewhere because what I've seen of him so far um, isn't like anything like a Premier League player for me. Um, I don't think he's he's close. It might be that he's rusty. I don't know, but he doesn't seem to have the right touch. I'm not sure he's is that quick. I think he's probably quicker than some of the other lads we've got. Obviously, quicker than Barnes, um, but I don't think he's that quick. Um, and you know, I can't really see any Premier League defence being frightened by him coming on at all, tired or not. Unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just a couple of stats on Soto. He's never been hugely prolific. Uh, at the end of last season, he did have a bit of success on one at Charlton. He was scrapping for relegation at the end of last season as well. He scored five in their last seven games, including a hat-trick at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I remember seeing those goals on the Football League show, actually, and they were all pretty scruffy finishes, but saw that quite a lot from Sam Volts last season. It doesn't matter if you hit them cleanly. It matters if they go in the back of the net, so... Uh, maybe there'll be something there, but I'm with you, Ian. I'm not sure he's going to be up to it, and I think it might just turn out to be a bit of a punt. But just one final point on Sordell. I do want to point out that last season, until January, our third-choice striker was Ryan Noble. He's now playing in about the 17th tier of English football, so certainly an improvement on Ryan Noble, if nothing else. So that's a nice thing that we can say about Marvin Sordell. He's better than Ryan Noble. Uh, the first player on the list who has actually seen quite a bit of action is Matthew Taylor. Um, reaction's been a bit split to Taylor. We've seen a bit of talk saying that Boyd should come in. Our question of the week, we have people saying that Boyd should come in for, for Kitely, which maybe suggests Taylor's not had that much impact if people think he was actually Michael Kitely. Um, what have your thoughts been on Taylor so far, Nathan? Um, mixed, really, really mixed. There's been times when you can just see his collectiveness and calmness, and you know his his final delivery is brilliant. But then he has this like switch. I don't know, almost like halfway through the game, and he just kind of loses it all. And his his crosses and corners are really poor. They're really like floaty and just don't have any penetration whatsoever. And and then obviously 60th minute, you can just see his legs completely disappear, and you know he's then you know out of breath for the rest of the game, and being having to having to be dragged off. And but he is an experienced Premier League head, and that's something that we haven't got, and we desperately, desperately need. So you know it's kind of you know kind of tugging at two sides of me that um, that signing. The, the fitness thing, I've seen quite a lot of people mention this, that he's been blowing after sort of 10 minutes. You wouldn't really expect that from a player who's had the, the famous Sean Dyche pre-season routine, but maybe a little bit of a concern, and maybe that's why Boy's going to put pressure on for his place. Mm. Um, we talked a lot, Kevin, about his defending and if he's offering Ben Mean off cover, but we do need to point out that he created the goal against Chelsea. The first half, he created four chances against Chelsea as well. So if, if you're in the side as a winger, surely he's doing his job. Um, yeah, and obviously, a, 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 a midfielder's job is to do both jobs. Obviously, a striker's job is to is to do the attacking, and a midfielder's job is to do the middle of the two, defending and attacking. Um, but yeah, it, I don't think you can kind of be too critical of a player, like I said earlier, who has created uh, our supplied our only goal uh, of the season so far. It, it was a, it was a good assist. You picked him out really well. And sort of a few other moments like that, um, but I do think he was brought in with the aim of 
possibly, probably not being a first choice um, uh, wing. I think I think Dyche always, always wanted to bring in that winger who's is done with with Boyd now. And I actually think I think Taylor and and um, is it um, the other one who's got a name? Um, <laughs> Stephen Reid? Reid, that's Reed? the one, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think Taylor and Reid were brought in much more to be around the squad than actually to be in the, in the team. I think John Dyche made a big point about them having Premier League experience because that's something what we we massively lack. And also last time we, we really lacked it. And I think it's, it's, it's something where... I think our problem was last time we were in the Premier League, we had a really good start. We were running on enthusiasm. And then when we got to the second half of the season, when we just became just just a Premier League team, now we weren't with that adrenaline and everything from the last season had run out. We were just a Premier League team. We struggled with that bit of lack of understanding um, and composure, and just knowing what the different challenges the Premier League throws at you. Um, so I think Taylor and Reed's biggest value actually will be just just being in, in among the team and along alongside other players. Um, I, I think. Boyd was always intended to be a first choice um, winger, and Taylor's just been a stopgap until then. I think Taylor and Reed. I think you're absolutely right. I think they are as much for off the field as anything else, and maybe Kitely is the same. So it's maybe a bit of a worry how many players we are signing for the dressing room rather than the pitch. Um, Ian's come on to you. Taylor and Reed will bundle them together. What are your thoughts on those two so far? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with. Uh... With the proposition that they're kind of, you know, bench warmers is probably isn't the right phrase, um, but you know, I, I don't think either of them probably are aimed for for starting regularly over the season, um, particularly Reed. I think Taylor actually. I mean, I've been fairly impressed with him. I I, I do get what you're saying about the uh, the fitness levels. He does look like he's suddenly run into a wall um, in the second half. That might come with the uh, fitness and conditioning work that they that Burnley seem to pride themselves on. Uh, and I was, as I said earlier, I was very impressed with the way he got back and um, supported the defence against United especially. So, you know, I, I think there's definitely a place for him. But, um, yeah, that, that worries me. I think, as you also said, though, I think that being able to, to dig in, have that Premier League experience, you know, being there, seeing it, done it, I think it's um, there's a real value to the squad in having those guys around. Uh, just one point on Reed. I think we maybe mentioned this on last week's podcast, but right at the end of the Man United game, he came on, and the first thing he did, literally the first thing Stephen Reed did, he came on and he fouled someone. But it was mm. a United break, and we were wide yeah. open, As well and they were back. probably going to yeah. score. Yeah. And he came on, and he took the booking, and all right, a specialist player to come on and get booked, probably not what most teams need. But that was probably summing up his Premier League experience, and that's, yeah. that's what we're going to have to learn to do. Because I think last time in the Premier League, we let teams do that far too much. There were goals we conceded from set pieces where we'd given the team the ball so they could take a quick free kick, and we just cannot be that naive again. And I think when we've got players like Taylor and Reed again, we won't do that. Uh, next up, then the only other player we've played serious money for, Lukas Jukovic. About two million, apparently. Although again, that'll be a lot of add-ons. Um, not scored yet, but he's made a positive impact on the side. What are your thoughts on Jukovic so far, Kevin? Um, well, I think if you look at the two strikers and look at their performances so far, um, and you said one of them had an excellent season last season, and one had a relatively 
poor season, you'd, you'd probably say that Jokovic was the, 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 the impressive one. Um, I've, I've actually, I really like him. I think he's, he's been really good. I think he's definitely in that, um, that Sam Vokes mould. Um, but obviously, um, there's not much evidence that he's, he's going to provide the goals that, that, that Vokes has provided. Um, that could be a problem when we were talking about maybe if you go into four five one, um, but with not too many goals coming from midfield, I'm not sure you can play Jukovic up by himself unless he starts scoring lots of goals. Um, so that might be a problem. And like we've said, you do really need to. We, we missed a few chances against Swansea, um, and that really cost us a game. And I'm not sure you can really afford to do that at this level because we're not going to get anywhere near as many chances as we got last season. So it might be a concern his lack of goals, but I've been I really like him so far. And if if Ings can get on on form and start banging him again, um, then I think they'll work really well together. But if Ings doesn't and if Ings starts to struggle and can't get his form together, it could be a bit of a, a problem. Um, we just need someone to uh, get a, go and bosh the ball in. <laughs> I, I think as soon as, as one of the lads up front gets one I think they'll be alright it's just a case of it starts to weigh on you as a striker doesn't it especially when you're stepping up to a new level it's can I do it am I cut out for it I was really impressed with with the way Charlie Austin managed to take his goal against um, Sunderland last weekend it was a really good finish and I think our strikers need to do the same Let's get one um, Nathan, I suppose the thing with Djokovic is that everyone's just going to compare him to Sam Volks, who was so, so impressive last season. And mm. you can't compare him to him straight away, can you? Because he's he's got to have time to bet in. Yeah, I don't really, I don't, I can see why there's similarities, but I think he's a bit more of a battering ram than Sam Volks. Um, he just kind of just gets stuck in and doesn't really care if he, if he does kind of give away a foul. He just wants to win the ball. Um, and, he, and he's been doing that very, very well. And it's just a shame that the whole, it's not worked just yet, the Ings and Jukovic partnership. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, the Charlie Austin thing, he just took his chance when he had it. And I think Danny Ings hasn't done that yet. Um, and same with Lucas. Um, he's not done that just yet and just needs that chance to drop for him, really. And I think once they'll get one, I, I do think the floodgates will open for both of them. Yeah, I agree. And just on chances as well, we mentioned the, the one against Swansea, the more I see that, the more I think that was really tough, Jukovic was stretching for it a little bit, it would have been a really good goal if he put it in, maybe he should have got it on target but yeah, I don't think Ings and Jukovic have, have really missed any chances you'd expect them to score yet, so I think as much as anything, I think we need to just create better chances Yeah, yeah there was a moment against United where um, there was a bad back pass from Evans I think, Yes, yes and, and Jukovic got it and he kind of just panicked and tried to beat him from like a really tight angle and I felt that he could have, you know, got the ball and slowed it down and, you know, tried to play someone in but he just kinda you know, he but he, he saw the chance and he just tried to snatch at it and I think just little things like that in the Premier League might cost us, but if he you know, if he reverts away from doing stuff like that, then the goals will come and they'll then start assisting people or whatever. Yeah, I think the composure I think comes with yeah. time and it's a confidence yeah. thing, isn't it? I think as soon as he gets one I think he'll probably be okay, and mm. yeah, physically, I think he's he's certainly cut out for the Premier League. He absolutely dominated United's defence, and yeah, I think um, it'll it'll be a really good platform for us to get up the pitch. Um, just to go back to the Volks comparison, I think Volks was the same. He didn't look that composed in front of goal, but as soon as he started to get a couple, and there was one went in off his face, one went in off his backside, they were just started to go in off every part of his body. And, 
I'm just wondering if Jokovic needs one to go in off his face or off his arse, and then he'll be all right. Um, Ian, what are your thoughts on Jokovic so far? Yeah, I, I've been very impressed with him, actually. I, I think he's definitely um, you know, lived up to my expectations. I think, like you say, I think you know he's, he's perhaps not a kind of natural-born goal scorer. Uh, but he's certainly played that role of target man. I think he's linked up with with Ings very well, even though that that you know hasn't resulted in in goals yet. But I think it's, their understanding is starting to to come together. And like you say, he's got that real um, strength and aggression that uh, that you need to have at, at at this level. And I think can can alarm defenders. Um, you know, perhaps. Yeah, I've actually been more impressed with him than I thought I was going to be when when we first signed him. I have to say. Yeah, I agree. I think he, he had that really good preseason, didn't he? I think he scored six in six, and I think a lot of people uh, were more willing to give him the benefit of the, the doubt as a result of that, having seen that he can score goals, albeit in meaningless games. And just one last point I want to make on Jukovic: there were a couple of occasions in the United game where we managed to get him isolated against Tyler Blackett. All right, Tyler Blackett is not a Premier League player to start with, but he just absolutely terrified the lad. As soon as he got one-on-one with him, he just looked like he was going to destroy him. And I think if we can get him one-on-one with the smaller, weaker defenders that have got maybe not as much experience, I think he'll cause real problems. Um, The last player on the list is Stephen Ward, who I think we've talked about quite a lot on the podcast already. Um, Just one thing to point out, he did play the 90 minutes for Ireland, the other night, they had a very good result thanks to a double from Aidan McGeady, so it's good to see him get 90 minutes under his belt. Um, but Daniel Lafferty was unused for Northern Ireland in their 2-1 win. Ex-Claret Kyle Lafferty, no relation, actually got the winning goal. Um, so yeah, we'll leave Stephen Ward there because I think we've done him quite a bit. Just finally then for this week's podcast, we'll do some predictions for the Crystal Palace game. Big game at the bottom of the league. Can Burnley get that first win, Kevin? Um, we can, but I don't think. We Are will. we gonna? I've, I've gone for a, I've gone for a two-two because I want to see us score a couple of goals. What about you, Nathan? He's seen goals as well. Palace. There's been a lot um, of goals in Palace games so far this season. Yeah, there's been a lot of goals, but not there's not been a lot of goals from us. So I think <laughs> I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a one-one, and that's a realistic result. Please were you on the score draws, Ian? No, sorry. I'm I'm normally the I'm normally <laughs> the negative and miserable one, so I'm going to go for a uh, two-one win to Burnley. Shackle with a 90th minute winner. Oh, that'd be brilliant! I'm sure it's going to be a cracker. <laughs> really good away day at Palace. I'm sure it's going to be a really good weekend for everyone going down. That's about all we've got time for. Thanks to uh, my guests this evening, Ian, Kevin, and Nathan. If you've got any feedback on the podcast, please do get in touch. You can do so via Twitter. Um, at no Nay never net or email us at podcast at no Nay never dot net thanks as always as well to our sponsors at neville g we couldn't do the website without them um but yeah that's all we've got time for so thanks a lot for listening good night away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.